right, I have a $10 Starbucks gift card on the line. A Dutch person already raised their hand. <laughs> now, this gift card is for the person that can answer the question that I'm about to ask. But Dutch people don't go crazy. We, we have some order, okay? So I was in Bible Bowl. I think I told some of this uh, when I was teaching. And so uh, your hands are going to serve as your buzzer this morning, okay? So when I ask this question, the first person I see raise their hand, that's, that's the first person that gets the shot at answering this for the $10 Starbucks gift card. Ready? I want to know if anyone in this room can explain the process of how we see, how an image enters our eye and we see it. I see somebody here. You want to shout it out? That's impressive. That's, it's, your, it's yours, my man. Hand that baby over and grab your gift card. Just don't give the baby the, the coffee. Maybe not a good idea. That's right. Basically, if you guys didn't hear, to see the world, and I have to read from a, a page because I, I don't, I, oof, that's insane. To see the world, light has to enter through the iris or pupil. It has to cross the lens Fall on the retina in just the right, and I promise I'm not going to make you guys gag by telling you the, uh, uh, what's it called? LASIK. No, no, none of that this morning. I was, oof, torn to that a few weeks ago. Now, it has to cross the right way. For all this to work, though, every part has to do its job perfectly. So the iris has to open and control how much light gets through. The lens has to focus the light to create a clear image of the real world inside the eye. The retina then has to convert the image into electrical signals and then send them to the brain, and the brain has to turn it into an image and flip it right side up. Is your brain hurting yet this morning? No, yeah. All this has to happen while the shape of the eye remains static. You see, we don't see clearly because one part of the eye does it all. We see clearly when a community of muscles and nerves and lenses and rod and brain all work together. And the same is true for many of us or all of us in our faith. We've been uh, journeying through this series, Turn Your Eyes, right? We've started the new year by turning our eyes towards what really matters, Jesus. We spent a few weeks talking about the power and the importance of engaging with God in his word and being open to the ways that God wants to move in and through our lives and having clear eyes and full hearts towards him last week. And this morning we're going to close our Turn Your Eyes series by talking about our need for one another, our need for Christian community. You see, we need one another, our different gifts and abilities. Uh, Look to the person next to you and say, we need one another. Like Shrek and Donkey, we need one another. Now turn to the person next to you, the other person, and in your best Eddie Murphy accent, say, in the morning, I'm going to be cooking waffles. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Oh, Shrek and Donkey, they need each other. We need each other like Shrek and Donkey. We need one another. Like we need Christian community. And before I continue, uh, let me just clarify what I mean when I say community. You see, because I think community is kind of a buzzword. It gets thrown around a lot. It's one of those things that it's kind of become everything, so now it's become nothing sort of thing. It's not a lot of depth. So when I say community and our need for Christian community, Jesus' way of community, I don't mean a group of people that like the same sports or movies or the same kind of wine or whatever. Uh, I don't mean a group of people that live in the same area necessarily or live in the similar life stage or come from a similar background. When I say community, I don't even mean a group of people that kind of get along and go to the same church. When I say community this morning, I mean a group of people in a specific place, so like a physical place, so that rules out any like Instagram community or anything like that, 
in a physical, specific place defined by their love for Jesus. Like that's the thing that brings them together. Not anything else. The core central thing that brings them together is their love for Jesus. Defined by their love for Jesus and committed to following him with their lives together. So I'll say it all again. When I say community this morning, I mean a group of people in a specific place defined by their love for Jesus. Committed to following him together. You see, if we want to abide with Jesus and fall in love with Jesus, we talk about that all the time, right? We want to fall in love with Jesus. We want to live on the mission of Jesus. And to do that, we have to experience the transforming power of the community of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. It all sounds kind of simple, right? But just because something is simple doesn't make it easy, right? There's all kinds of examples of simple things that are just not easy. And today, in our culture, in our climate, Community, Jesus' way of community is just not easy. You see, we're steeped in stories of our Western society of individuals who like did it all. They don't need anyone, right? We're told like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Individualism just grows and grows and grows while people are less and less involved in any form of community. People are less involved in church. People are less involved in clubs. People are less involved with teams. People are less involved in any form of community. There's a famous book uh, written a few, not a few, a, a little bit ago called Bowling Alone. Highlights this, how society is growing more and more towards individualism. We're just not involved with each other anymore. We're, we live in Grand Rapids, right? A city of tens of thousands of people, yet many of us feel like strangers to one another. And the result is a lonely people. The UK made headlines a year or so ago when they appointed a minister of loneliness recognizing how many people in their country were lonely. Reports in the U.S. show massive percentages of people that say, that identify that they are just, they're lonely, right? Medical providers have begun to notice the impact of loneliness on the body. It's uh, kind of kind of scary. And, uh, sorry, I've got my uh, notes all, all confused here. I'm not sure what happened. That's right. Uh, medical providers have noticed the negative effects of loneliness, right? And it's not just, this isn't just the story, our need for community, our need for one another. That's not just the story that the body is telling. That's not just the story that research is telling. This is the story that God tells us as well. So will you guys tune in really quick? I have three minutes of lame theology stuff uh, that you're going to think is uh, maybe not that important, but it's actually really, really important for our lives today. Ready? Tune in. All right, so in the first book of the Bible, on the first page of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we learn the f- first thing about God. The first thing that we learn about God, besides the fact that God can create stuff, which is kind of assumed uh, in the book of Genesis, is that God is a community. And you're like, wait, what? I thought God like exists as three in one, like the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, all of that. God exists three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God exists three in one in community. We see the blueprints for this in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 26. You guys can turn. We'll have it on the screen as well. It says, then God said, let us make man, and I'm only going to read the first bit of this verse. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, it says in the first sentence, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So there's two plural words, us and our. And so what that means, among many other complicated things that uh, we don't have time to get into and we'll probably never understand, and that's okay because that's God. Uh, But what that means is that God has always existed and continues to exist in a mutual community of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in a mutual community of love. 
And we know that God, when he chose to create humans, he chose to create humans in his image. It says that. So we are created by God and we are created like God. And if God exists in a mutual community of love and we're created by God, we're created like God, then we are supposed to exist in a mutual community of love, right? Like it's who we are as human beings. It's woven into the fabric of who we are, what it means to be human, to this desire to exist in a mutual community of love. And people are scratching this itch, this need for community in all kinds of different ways. All right, like CrossFit gyms are insane. Like you muscle, if you can do a muscle up, you're part of like this insane, like awesome community, right? Skateboarding is so back like it's back hardcore I live downtown and there are skateboarders non-stop like all over the place uh next to our apartment complex there's an alley and in the alley there's all these signs that say in red letter big red letters no skateboarding allowed which is basically skateboarding for please skateboard here and so non-stop in the alley there's just skateboarders going and so they think oh we'll put up more signs so it seems like there's been more and more signs which just equals more and more skateboarders right like skateboarding is back the community uh that's there with skateboarding and don't even get me started on dogs Dog owners, like I'm not saying that all of you that own a dog are part of like the dog owner cult, (laughs) but some of you are, (laughs) some of you are, okay, my apartment complex is like this dog owner cult, we have a dog treat bar, and if you don't believe me, I have a picture, look at it, do you see that, it says 20 Fulton East Paw Bar. So when you take your dog down the elevator outside, let it do its business, and you pick up after it, and then you walk inside, the dog can pick from its selection of treats for you to give it. Our apartment complex has a dog of the month that we're supposed to vote on. (laughs) How do you vote on that? Like, oh, this dog didn't pee in the elevator, so it's the dog of the month this month. No, Olivia and I do not participate, okay? But we're scratching this itch, this need for community in all kinds of different ways. Crossfit, skateboarding, dogs. But Jesus' vision for community, Jesus' vision for what community can mean in our lives is so much higher. It's so much more important. It's so much more all-encompassing than crossfit or skateboarding or even owning a dog, I promise. Uh, I have never seen Harry Potter. Uh, Never seen Harry Potter. Uh, Go ahead, all you Harry Potter snobs, go Sorry, I haven't, so all you Harry Potter snobs can, like, yell at me and uh, persecute me. Uh, But I have, my wife, Olivia, loves Harry Potter, right? So she's always been pressuring me to watch Harry Potter, and I finally succumbed, like I started watching them, okay, Uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, we've been moving pretty rapidly, so uh, I just finished the fourth one, the fourth Harry Potter. Um, The first one, not so good. Uh, but they've started to get better. The fourth one was pretty good. Like, I'm pretty interested. I want to watch the fifth one now. Uh, I don't know when we'll make it happen, but soon. And in the fourth Harry Potter, I sound so nerdy. In the fourth Harry Potter, they go to Quidditch World Cup, right? Like the Quidditch World Cup, yeah? And at the Quidditch World Cup, they walk in uh, to, like, this area where there's a bunch of tents, right? And Harry's, like, with his friends, and they are like, oh, that's our tent. And you're like, dang, there's, like, eight people. That's a small little dingy tent. Like, how is that going to work? And then they walk through the tent, and it's Harry Potter world of, wizard, world of wizardry, right? So they walk in the tent, and boom, it's like a penthouse suite. Like, you know, like, king beds everywhere, like, uh, all, the, all the, you know, bells and whistles. It's just, like, so dope, right? And, but on the outside, it's like this dingy little thing. And that's really how I think, like, the way that Jesus' vision vision for our life is, right? Like our culture and 
climate and context says, like, this is the way things are supposed to be. This is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what success looks like. This is what fun looks like. This is what sex looks like. This is what community and relationships are supposed to look like. And so many, so many of the times, we, we just want to do what we're being told to do. And oftentimes, like, what Jesus has for us, his vision, his desire for us, oftentimes looks like this, like, dingy little tent, right? Maybe it looks outdated or it looks lame or it looks restrictive, but when we walk through it, when we actually walk through it, it's some of like the richest, most powerful, most beautiful stuff in life. And I think that Jesus' vision for community is like a Harry Potter tent at a Quidditch World Cup. Never have you heard such a nerdier illustration. Right? But that's what I think Jesus' vision for community is. It's so much better. It's so much higher. so much more all-encompassing than what most of the world has to offer. So let's get into what Jesus' vision for community actually is, okay? So if you guys will turn, turn uh, your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. We have some Bibles for you. If you uh, would like a Bible, just raise your hand. We got some people walking around with a Bible. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to read really quick. Now, before we read, uh, it's helpful to know, Jesus has just started his public ministry, right? So he's just started doing some miracles, he's walking around teaching, uh, and some things happen, we're going to read in verse 31 to 35, follow along with me. It says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are looking outside for you. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. So Jesus has been walking around. He started his public ministry. He's been doing some miracles. He's been doing some teachings. All of a sudden, his family comes up. And really, his family's coming up to sort of like save him from himself, really. They're a little concerned. They're like, Jesus, maybe you're moving a little too fast, doing all kinds of this stuff. We're going to try and pull you back a little bit. And Jesus says to the people around him, he says, who are my mother and brothers? He says, the people around me that are listening and obeying, these people are my family. These people are my mother, my my mother, my brother, and my sister. Which seems kind of harsh, right? Like, why would Jesus reject his family like that? What's he really saying? Why would he do that? You see, to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, it's helpful to understand the context that Jesus is living and teaching out of. Because Jesus is actually saying a lot less about his biological family, and Jesus is saying a lot more about his vision for what his community of followers are going to be like. Anyone seen the movie The Farewell? Anyone? We got a couple like indie film hipsters in here, like myself. I like a a good little indie flick. The Farewell is a phenomenal movie. It won some Golden Globes, I think. I think it's up for some Oscars as well. I think we got a picture uh, and even like zoomed in. You can see the family. The Farewell is a movie about uh, this character on the sitting on the couch on the far left, played by uh, an actress named Aquafina, and her name is Billy. Billy was born in China, and her family uh, is Chinese, of course, and at a very young age, like when she was a baby, uh, they moved to the U.S. So she's grown up in the U.S., uh, Western ideals, American ideals, uh, with a family who uh, was raised in, in China. And all of her extended family, the rest of her family, continues to live in China in the East and the movie takes place, uh, her, the matriarch of the family, her grandma, uh, is diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the family, which this is uh, common in some cultures, decides not to tell the grandma she's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Instead, they decide to sort of plan like a farce of a wedding to get the family all back together uh, one more time to sort of like be all together and say bye to the grandma before she passes. 
And so this movie takes place and this intercultural tension sort of is just sort of played out, right? Because Billy is, she's raised in Western American ideals and she's in China with her Chinese family and with Eastern ideals and she feels bad, like, why are we not telling grandma? This is wrong, I feel guilty, and, and the, her, the rest of her family doesn't understand like, why she feels this way. And this movie sort of climaxes in this scene that I think really represents the way that many of us approach life and the world and understand society, and the way that Jesus would have actually understood life, the world, society. It's sort of a, an East versus West thing. So I have a quote actually from, from that scene, and it says this. The, uh, the scene is between Billy and her uncle, so her dad's brother. He says this to Billy. He says, Billy, there are things you must understand. You guys moved to the West long ago. You think one's life belongs to oneself. But that's the difference between the East and the West. In the East, a person's life is part of a whole, family. You want to tell Nainai, that's grandma, the truth because you're afraid to take responsibility for her. Because it's too big of a burden if you tell her. Then you don't have to feel guilty. We're not telling Nainai because it's our duty to carry this emotional burden for her. You see, I think this really illustrates the way that many of us come at life, the world, society. It's a weak group-based way of seeing the world. Many of us, it's individual. We see ourselves as individual. We get our identity from our individual self. But the, the way that the East continues to see the world, really, and the way that Jesus would have seen the world is a, a strong group-based way of seeing the world. A group, a family, an individual's identity is part of a group. It's part of a, being a member of a family. And that's the way Jesus would have seen the world, first century Jewish Mediterranean life. Scriptures relate the importance of like being a member of a family, right? The genealogies and the laws. In the Old Testament, life is used almost interchangeably with family. A commentator that I read this week said that uh, to lose one's family, to be separated from one's family, to be rejected, to be cast out, was to lose one's life. In Jesus' world, your primary identity, your primary uh, purpose, and your primary per part of life was your family. Family was like the highest bar. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35, distances himself from his family. He says to the people, who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? The people that are around me, that are obeying me, that are committed to God like I am, that's who my mother, my brothers, and my sisters are. You see, he's saying less about his biological family, and he's saying more about what his community of people that are going to follow him and they're going to obey him are going to be like. They're going to be like family. That's the sort of community that Jesus is up to. That's what he's after. And this is supported by the, the, the metaphors that Jesus uses, right? Like the number one way of referring to God that Jesus use, is, uses is Father. The way that Jesus continues to refer to his believers and followers long after Mark chapter 3 is brothers and sisters. The New Testament writers pick up on this theme and the number one way that they refer to each other as Christians is brothers and sisters. The Greek word adelphoi, which is used for brothers and sisters uh, interchangeably, is used 342 times in the New Testament alone. This is the way that Jesus understands his vision for community. This is the type of community that he's after. A family of people in a specific place that are defined by his, their love for him and committed to following him together. 
Now, below, below this layer of context of the importance of family, it, there's another layer of context. You see, because family at the time that Jesus is living and teaching wasn't under, was understood actually by the father's bloodline. So uh, today, most of our families are really defined by our relationship with our spouse, right? So our highest level of commitment and intimacy and responsibility uh, belongs to our spouse. Our family's kind of defined by that. But in Jesus' world, family was defined by the father's bloodline. And so typically, your highest level of intimacy and commitment and responsibility, that relationship was not actually with your spouse. Now, that's not to say spouses didn't have romantic relationships, strong relationship. But it's just to say that the, the importance was ab- above that was the father's bloodline. So your closest relationship was actually often with one of your siblings, your brother or your sister. And that's what Jesus calls his followers. Jesus refers to his followers as brothers and sisters. That's the type of community that Jesus is after. That's what he's up to. He's saying, my community, the people that are going to follow me and obey me, the the way that they're going to relate to one another is like brothers and sisters, like family. They're going to be a family defined by their love for me, and they're going to be committed to following me together in a specific place, which is unthinkable at the time of Jesus. It's, It's super radical. And it means two things for us this morning as a church, I think. I think it means two things. So the first thing I think it means as a church, this vision for community that Jesus has for us, is that we exist as a family. We belong to one another like a family. Anybody have a a family member that they're really not that crazy about? They're like, "Mm, if there was like a family draft, I would not have picked you, you know? (laughs) Some of you may be sitting next to that family member. No, I'm just kidding. But you're stuck with them. (laughs) You're stuck with them. You can't get out. That's how family works, right? Like you belong to one another. Well, that's the the way that Christian community is supposed to operate. That's the way that the church is supposed to operate. That's the way that we're supposed to operate. We belong to one another. The New Testament writers like say this over and over again. Paul in Romans, for example, Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul literally says this. He's talking about the church and the body of Christ. He says, we belong to one another. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like trembling and you're like, why did I come to church this morning? Did I just join a cult? I don't think church is really supposed to be all of that. I get it. I get it. Because I feel that way saying this some of the time. But the truth is, is that the truth is that we have been trained to think that Christian community just means going to church on Sunday and maybe hanging out with a group of people from church, maybe once a week, every other week, to just kind of talk about sports, movies, or whatever, and pray at the end. But the truth is that Jesus has so much more for us. Jesus wants so much more for us. Let me ask you this. If you were offered a better job with better pay in a better city, would your community at TLC be enough reason for you to turn it down? If you were offered a better job with better pay, better city, would your local group at TLC, the community you have in your local group, be enough for you to turn it down? Would it even be part of the process, the decision-making process? You see, Jesus' vision for community that he has for us requires a whole lot more than sitting together on Sunday in the same row and sharing a fellowship bagel smothered in cream cheese together. Jesus' vision for community requires us 
to adopt one another. We belong to one another. We exist as a family. Strangers become brothers and sisters and children and siblings. We accept one another for everything that we are. We are committed to one another. We have responsibility to one another. We are a family in a specific place. 1601 Galbraith Avenue, Suite 304, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49546. We're in a specific place defined by our love for Jesus, committed to following him together. We exist as a family. Welcome to the family. That's the first thing that it means for us. The second thing that I think all this, this vision for community that Jesus has, this radical vision for us. You see, if we exist as a family and, and, and we belong to one another like family, then the second thing this means is that we should operate like a family. We should function like a family. At TLC, we talk about this in three ways. We have the three C's, okay? And some of you may have heard this, right? We have the three C's, care, celebrate, and challenge. Healthy families, good families, these these are the three things that healthy, good families do, and we want to operate and function in that way. We want to care for one another, we want to celebrate one another, and we want to challenge one another. See, as a church, we want to care for one another. We want to come alongside each other. When when things are getting hard, we want to provide support. We want to provide meals. Little plug, we have a, a, a care team that provides meals for people. And so if you're like, oh, dang, I'd like to be a part of that, or ah, this is actually a really tough season for us, we could use like a home-cooked meal on Tuesday night. Info desk, join the care team, right? But that we want to care for one another. We want to provide meals and, and prayer and support. We want to care for one another like a family. Second C, we want to celebrate one another. Like we want to get together and we want to laugh and we want to party together. We want to celebrate the big things like a new baby or our church turning another year old like we're children. And we want to celebrate the small stuff like just another day of life and breath. Like we want to laugh together and party together. We want to celebrate life together as a family. And the third C, challenge. We want to challenge one another. We want to call each other out in love. My family's really good at the call each other out part, not as good at the in love part, but we're trying to get better. My biological family, not my church family. I'm not coming at you guys like that. Right? We want to challenge one another, call each other out in love. We want to push each other forward in our relationship with Jesus. We want to look outward with each other to the people and the places that God is leading us to. You see, as a family, we want to care for, celebrate, and challenge one another. Because like a family, we need one another. Did you know that uh, research, this is a sick experiment, but researchers have found that if you take a mouse and you put that mouse uh, with a group of strange mice, which means like stranger mice, like this mouse doesn't know these mice, right? Okay. Crazy. Uh, And uh, they put them together with an inadequate amount of food, and it's kind of a cramped space. That mouse that they've put in there, its blood pressure will rise. So they have like a little thing, right, and the measure, and its blood pressure rises. Now, if you take that same mouse and you put it with with a brother or a sister with the same size group and the same inadequate amount of food, blood pressure doesn't rise. Like these mouse need one another. They need family, right? And people, research shows people aren't any different. Now, the experiments are a lot different, right? Like we're not doing that with people, but people need family. Like we need one another. We need family to help bear the stress that life brings, to care for one another, to celebrate one another, to challenge one another. We need, a, we need family. We need a family of people that are defined by, or that live in a specific physical place defined by their love for Jesus, committed to following him together. That care for one another, celebrate one another, and challenge one another. Now, I have an example uh, in my own life what this looks like. It's not me. I can't take credit for it, really. And I want to share it with you guys this morning. But before I share it, 
let me just say, like, I wish I knew fully what this looks like. I really wish I did. It, to me, it, it haunts me more than anything else probably right now. It, I just feel like our Western individual consumerism society just is such a barrier for many of us, including myself, to really experiencing all that Jesus has for us with his way of community. So let me just say that I don't have it figured out. But I experience, I've experienced tastes of this, and oh man, is it awesome. So I want to introduce you uh, to my brother, Logan. You may have seen pictures of him in a onesie. Uh, this is what he looks like. This is him and his wife, Sarah. Uh, I took this picture, by the way, a little photo cred for me. Uh, this is Logan and Sarah. Logan is my twin brother. We've been, uh, we've been best friends for a while. We shared a womb together. And uh, I know. Uh, and we kind of unintentionally went to the same college, actually. When we decided we were going to the same college, we were like, yeah, we're going to room together. Uh, and if you're like, well, you should meet someone new. Nah, I'm going to choose somebody that I like, uh, that I can yell at and stuff like that. So we roomed together. And we ended up meeting uh, and dating and then marrying uh, best friends or roommates who became best friends, Olivia and Sarah. So that's Sarah, Logan's wife. Now, uh, during our time in college, we really got close to one another. Uh, and if you're like, oh, this sounds so cute. It is cute sometimes, but it's really like the episode of Friends. But in the episode of Friends that they don't show where, like, it's kind of complicated a lot and people fight. And you're like, you want to tell your best friend about something, but then they're, they're dating the other person's best friend. So it's cute sometimes, but not cute all the time, okay? Uh, but we really got close, right? Because we were fighting all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a beautiful relationship. Uh, the four of us, and uh, what's the beautiful, the most beautiful part about it is our love for one another is really defined by our love for Jesus. So when we're caring for one another, we're celebrating one another, we're challenging one another, it's, it's all about Jesus. That's the way it was in college and, and in postgrad, and we had always talked about our, our relationship, the four of us, this unique thing that we have is really like a gift and something that we wanted to take advantage of, and so we had toyed with always the idea of really trying to intentionally live with one another, live together, not physically necessarily, but at least in the same area. And so about a year ago, uh, Logan and Sarah were considering moving to a new place. They were still living in the small little town that we had graduated from in Little Huntington, Indiana. They wanted to move to a new city, and unbeknownst to us, they were really considering moving to Grand Rapids. And not because they had a better job with better pay in a better city or any, I mean, Grand Rapids is a better city than Huntington, but, uh, but not because of any of the reasons that, like, the world might think, oh, you're going to move to this place. The main reason, and if you ask them this morning, the main reason that they moved to Grand Rapids is their relationship with Olivia and I. Wanting to pursue Jesus and being defined by our love for Jesus together in a physical space committed to following and living uh, for him together. And when they were moving here, they, they, announced, they said they were going to move here in like six months before, right? And people would be like, oh, why are you moving there? Did you get a job? And they'd be like, no. Uh, oh, like uh, do you have uh, like a ton of family there? Do you have roots there? Are you going to school there? No. Uh, we just have one family member and uh, good friends. And we want to follow Jesus with them together. And people would be like, what? Because that's not the box, right? That's not the box that that fits in. But the, the, the community that I experienced with my wife and with Logan and Sarah, some of the richest, most beautiful, most powerful stuff that I'll probably ever experience, that some people never get to experience. And Jesus wants that for me. He wants that for all of us. So let me ask you, if you were offered a better job, better pay, better city, would your community at TLC be enough for you to turn it down? Are you experiencing the transforming power of Jesus' way of community? 
And if the answer is yes, awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad. I rejoice with you. Let this morning invigorate your passion and your commitment to those people. Next time you're with those people, let them know, hey, I'm thankful for you. But if your answer is no, or if your answer is like, I don't know, it's no. When you're experiencing the transforming power of Jesus' way of community, you know it. And so if your answer is no this morning, I want you to consider joining a local group. You see, because we as a church, we're kind of like this big extended family, right? We're, too, we're not that big of a church, but we're too big. Most churches are too big to really operate as an immediate family that are, can share a table and get together and share the intimate daily rhythms of our life and really follow and be committed to Jesus together in an immediate sort of way. We kind of got this like weekly family reunion thing going on, an extended family, and it's awesome, but you need immediate family. You need a people, you need a family that's in a specific place, defined by their love for Jesus, committed to following him together, caring for one another, celebrating one another, and challenging one another. And when we have a bunch of little pods and pockets that are doing that, we're together doing that as a family. And so if you're not in a local group this morning, I want you to consider joining a local group. We'll have uh, forms out the door. I also found out my wife, bless her heart, Olivia, uh, she was handing out, she was supposed to be handing out handouts at the door, and I found out just before service, she was actually handing out local group sign-ups. So uh, little pro- prophet uh, Olivia was thinking ahead, I guess. She had no idea, I don't think. But uh, So some of you may have local group sign-ups already, but consider joining a local group where, we can, where you can be cared for, celebrate, and challenge one another. All right. I want to move us in uh, to a time of worship uh, and a time of response. But before I do that, just two quick disclaimers, okay? So I gave, like, Jesus' vision for community as family. It's this awesome thing. But uh, now I'm going to give you, like, the at the end of the uh, medicine commercials where it's like, side effects may include. (laughs) Two just quick disclaimers because we just have to acknowledge this. We just have to know this before we head into some of this stuff. First, community is hard. It's people. It's relationships, so that means it's hard. There's a famous scientist or or, uh, sociologist who uh, says that the four stages to reaching true community, listen to these stages, okay? The first, pseudo-community, not bad. Second, chaos. Third, emptiness. Fourth, true community. He's He's not like a Christian or anything. Just acknowledging people, relationships are hard, community is hard. And some of you may be sitting in this hardness right now. I just want to acknowledge, let you know, hey, we know, I know it's hard, but it's worth it. That's the first disclaimer. Second, this takes time. I remember when Olivia and I, we moved to Grand Rapids about two and a half years ago. No family, no friends, no nothing. And we started coming to church. We started to meet some friends. And uh, we would, like, hang out with them, and it'd be cool. But then we would be done, and we'd be like, Man, hanging out with those people, it just doesn't feel like when we hung out with our friends from college or our friends from camp or whatever. And it would just be sad. And then we kind of had a light bulb moment where we realized, well, wait, with those relationships, those were relationships were built on time. Like years and years of us really pouring into those relationships. And so to think that, well, a relationship that I've had with someone for five years should feel the exact same as somebody that I just met a month ago probably doesn't make sense. And for many of us, this is hard. Like, we want to make community, right? Like, we want to go for it. We want to make it happen. But the truth is, it's just commitment and consistency over time. It takes time. And so just be aware of that this morning, all right? So we're going to move into a time of worship. 
I hope you've been as entranced with Jesus' vision for community as I am, as pumped as I am. You see, Jesus' vision for community, one more time, is a family of people in a specific place defined by their love for Jesus, committed to following him together, caring for one another, celebrating one another, and challenging one another. And so as we move into this time of worship, I think that all of us, all of us have a an opportunity to really step into this vision more. Even if you're in a local group or you're killing it, whatever, we all have a chance to step more into this vision of community that Jesus has for us. And so as we worship this morning, I want you to ask yourself this one question. What's one way I can step more into the transforming power of Jesus' way of community? Reflect on that this morning. What's one way I can step more into the transforming power or transforming power of Jesus' way of community. I haven't told Logan and Sarah this. I haven't even told Olivia this. But I'm thinking my way is going to be, I'd really like to sort of set a a night of the week that Olivia and I and Sarah and Logan have dinner together. We just break bread. We share some things that are going on and we pray for one another. And then maybe we begin to invite some people that don't go to church that we're interacting with in our local sphere into that. Just nothing creepy, just dinner just to experience the transforming power of Jesus' way of community because I want it so, so, so bad. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you uh, so much for this morning, Uh, this little family reunion we get to have every Sunday, just praising and worshiping you and and opening your word, uh, just a a revelation uh, of you to us. And, And God, I just pray that we would be just inspired by your vision for community. It's so good, so high, so great. And God, would you just give us the the commitment, uh, the initiative, the inspiration to step into it. Even though it may look like a little dingy tent on the outside, it's got some of the most beautiful, powerful, fantastic stuff. Because that's the kind of God that you are. And so it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray these things. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.